This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. This is Ray. This is Jax. This is Dean. And this is the Rach Jackson Dean Podcast. <laughs> Sound really chipper. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's weird. Joy 94.9. Hi, it's time for... It's not J-Law, it's not J-Lo, it's Joy Law. We have with us the team from KHQ Lawyers, we have Monica and we have Bronwyn. Welcome to the studio. Thank you. Welcome back. It's been a while. It has been a while. The last time uh, the team from KHQ Lawyers were in, we were having a chat about surrogacy and some of the rules about uh, entering into a relationship, a surrogate relationship in Australia um, or going overseas. But the end result is becoming a parent, having a little bundle of joy. So today we're going to focus on how do you pay for it? (laughs) And what are the obligations, the financial obligations around having a child? Absolutely. So, so what are they? So look, um, every legal parent has an obligation to maintain their child financially uh, until that child's 18 or, or 35. Until, oh, sorry. No. Eight, 18. <laughs> 18 or until they finish their secondary education. Oh. So, um, yeah. So, so you could be 17 because I was 17 when I finished my secondary education and my parents would just go, could they have just flicked me out? They could have. Well, oh, wow. if you're not attending school, you could potentially go out and earn an income and you wouldn't need child support. Wow. And the other parent Magic. wouldn't need child support. So, look, there's two ways, basically, that child support can be paid. Um, the first and probably the most common is through the child support agency. Um, and they're effectively a branch of the Australian tax office. Mm-hmm. So, uh, under a child support assessment, um, the amount that you pay by way of child support uh, is calculated basically by the parent's respective taxable income. Uh, and the amount of nights. So depending on those things, uh, your child support... amount of nights. The amount of nights that the children are with the parents. Oh, okay, right. So if you have the children more, um, arguably the other parent doesn't need as much child support because the child support's aimed at, um, I guess, supporting the child uh, in terms of a contribution towards rent and utilities and uh, food and school fees and clothing and all of those Streaming services and... uh, (laughs) Internet. (laughs) Internet, all that good stuff. (laughs) Yeah, so um, generally uh, most people do go through the child support agency uh, Uh and so it can go up and down the amount of child support you have to pay depending on how much money you're earning and how much time you're spending with your children. I guess this is only an issue if if the relationship, if you're not co-parenting. Oh, sorry, if if you're no longer a couple, I should say. You can still co-parent and be separate. That's right. So child support's only payable upon separation. You have to be separated. Right. Um, uh, and so that's ongoing. And I guess the benefit of it being part of the tax office is they have powers, far-reaching powers, if people don't pay. And we'll talk about that a bit bit later today. Um, but the other way people can pay is basically by entering into a private agreement. Um, and what you find is um, people with a higher income end up drafting or going to lawyers and getting a binding child support agreement drafted. Uh-huh. And that can deal with um, additional things. So not the everyday living, but uh, things like private school, education. Tennis lessons. Tennis lessons. That's a really Trombone. good one. Trombone. Orthodontic work, things uh-huh. like that. Medical gap payments, those sorts of things. Prom dress. <laughs> <laughs> 
expenses would be paid holiday. by both. <laughs> yeah, so as Monica was saying, basically the difference between the two is if you're going through the child support agency and mm. if you're paying through an assessment there, um, you're basically making a monthly payment for the support of the children and as Monica said, it's meant to cover all the expenses necessary for the care of the children. Um, so that's including school fees, clothing, general cost of living, whereas with a private agreement you have much more leeway to be a bit creative with how how you pay that support and what it looks like, what it goes towards. You can be a bit more targeted in terms of particular activities that you might want to encourage the children to do, um, extracurriculars, private school fees or uh-huh. school fees in addition to, for instance, a just a monthly periodic payment for the general support of the children as well. So if you went through the, um, uh, the child support agency approach, does the parent uh, who, I guess... Uh, do, do the parents need to provide receipts to demonstrate they have actually spent the money on the food or on the on the um, uh, shelter, um, or can they kind of you know do a bit of a cheapie and uh, maybe spend it on other things? If it's through the child support, I've got a suspicious mind here. You have, but <laughs> they're probably not get pa- getting paid enough to to worry about it. <laughs> oh, so there's no <laughs> auditing. Of- no. no. So the assessment, as Monica was saying, the, the assessment itself is based on factors like income, the age of the children and the amount of overnights. And I think after that, you've got to trust that the parent receiving the child support payment is is using that money for the purpose it was intended for the support of the children. Absolutely. Can you um, like downgrade your payments or whatever the word I'm looking for is if, if you're physically going out and you're buying your kids their uniforms and you're providing the other parent with food and that sort of thing or is it literally you just have to give them the money and trust that they are going to do what's right with it um that's a really interesting question so often um after separation or in those first few months you've often got um say one of the parties living in the home with the other party paying the mortgage and things like that so those sort of payments can be offset Mm. against any obligation but typically once the separation has proceeded and there's been a financial settlement and things like that there's not normally those payments that would be offset but you can in theory you can offset some of those payments we are talking to the team from khq lawyers we're talking about the financial obligations of being a parent coming up next we're going to turn the focus to what if i'm a donor and not a legal parent you're with Rach and Dean with Tristan in the back for the Tuesday Drive Home. And we're having a chat to the team from KHQ Lawyers for a little segment we like to call Joy Law. We're having a chat to Monica and Bronwyn, or Mon and Bron, as we like to call them. <laughs> and we're, we're chatting about if I was a parent, if we were parents, Rach and I, yeah. and we broke up and we had to pay for the kids, what are my financial obligations? Now, we're talking about when you're... Um, uh, well, I, we didn't say you were heterosexual, but we were saying you're a couple and you're co-parenting. But what if I was a donor? What if I'm the donor and I'm not the legal parent? What are my financial obligations? It's a very complex uh, question, actually. Um, So it really does depend on the role that was intended for the donor in the child's life and the role that is being played out. So um, if the donor was an active parent, so let's say there's a lesbian couple and a donor and they've decided to Mm -hmm. co-parent and they were actually wanting um, orders for parental responsibility, then it would be recommended that you would pay child support even though the donor wouldn't be a legal parent and therefore wouldn't really have legal responsibility to pay. But one of the things the court will look at in considering parenting orders is the financial obligations and and how everyone has sort of contributed to that child's life. So it can be an important factor. But let's look at the opposite sort of circumstance. Mm. Let's say you're a donor in the truest sense. Uh, You didn't want to roll in the child's life. You are protected because you're not a legal parent. Oh, so so you cut... There won't be a claim later on. At at 18 years of age, you owe me! 
That's right, because you don't have the status of a legal parent. So Christina's talked about donor agreements mm, and, mm. and why she does them, and that's very clearly to sort of anticipate the role the children and the parent will play in, in each other's life, and that flows through onto the financial obligations as well. So once again, get it in writing. Get it in writing. <laughs> get it in writing. I'm, 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 I listen to you, gals. I, I, know what you, I know what the rules are. Get it in writing. It'll save some heartache later on. Absolutely. So what happens... So I've, I've had these friends that I've brought up in the past before as well. So uh, legally, one of them hasn't adopted the two children that her partner has had, but they have had the children um, together, essentially. So a, a lesbian couple. If they ever split up, would my friend be uh, like... Uh, liable to be paying parenting things because she has been a parent up until this point, although legally she would not be seen as one. So when the children were conceived, they weren't together? They were together. They were together. But they did at the... But they didn't do IVF. No. There you go. (laughs) And has there been financial support provided? She has supported them 100%. Then I would say she possibly would be liable Mm. as a a step-parent. Yeah. Hmm to child support ongoing. Now, of course, so when, you, when you have a baby, there are, there are costs involved in having a baby and toddlers, and then toddlers grow up and the expenses just change over the years. Well, it's funny. Uh, it's actually factored into the child support assessment through the child support agency. The age of the child is a relevant factor. Oh, so gosh. older ch- children are seen to be needed um, greater financial support. Those Xboxes don't come cheap. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Again, the necessities. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, just one final thing that we wanted to touch on was um, what you might be able to do if you feel like you have a child support agency assessment, um, which is not accurate or reflective of the payer's, uh, you know, lifestyle or, or income. Um, so unfortunately, it's not uncommon for us to see this sort of thing where the payer is trying to minimise um, their income through you know, structuring their own business a certain way or using family trusts um, or those sorts of things for the purpose of generating a lower child support assessment um, from the child support agency. So if if this is something that applies to you, you can actually go to the child support agency for a review um, and essentially that will enable a, a case officer to look at your case, you know, on the circumstances of your particular facts. Um, they have power and discretion to look at Uh, you know, things like financial documents evidencing what a person's lifestyle and assets might look like or their, you know, their earning capacity rather than, you know, payments that are just coming in by way of income. So they can sort of get to the root of what the liable parent actually has the capacity to pay. Um, You can also, if you need to go to court to help you with this, it's something called a departure application. And again, it the court has discretion to look at the the particular circumstances and what would be fair for the liable parent to pay. Um, and this often we see this often come about in the context of seeking private school fees to be paid as well. So, if there's a um, if there's any dispute, if the if the uh, the two parties don't agree, does that also go to court? Is that, or would you perhaps go to mediation for those sort of matters? Well, I mean, look, going to court is obviously never the first option it's it's expensive it's stressful um if you are going through the child support agency it's possibly a good idea to get that review process going first to see what the outcome of that review would be before looking into going to court 
Um, the court does actually mandate that you go through those steps with the child support agency before the departure application, unless there's a number of other matters in court being contested at the time. Right. But also, they're often interlinked with parenting applications. So, And for a parenting application, you do have to try mediation before you go to court. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, thanks for that, Monica and Bronwyn, or Mon and Bronwyn. <laughs> <laughs> we look forward to having a chat to you guys again next week. Thanks Thank for you. Having Thank us. you. You can find more Joycast and show blogs. Go to joy.org.au. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.